to Mayo Clinic Educator Central, brought to you by the Learning Solutions Center at Mayo Clinic. I'm Stacy Kraft, an assistant professor of medical education and senior instructional designer at Mayo Clinic. You know, our relationship with information is constantly evolving. Every year, our current expectations become our past expectations as we usher in new technologies and paradigms for how we interact with them. Every year, every new cohort we meet, every new experience we welcome brings shifting expectations that impact what learners want and will do with educational content. And so, you know, it's up to us to stand toe-to-toe with the future and be ready to fully engage as the present. Today, I'm delighted to have Dr. Angela Robbins in to talk about what this all means for medical education and education in general, you know, learner autonomy, hidden curriculums, and more. And just a note, this is part one of a multi-part conversation, so keep your eye on the podcast for the next episode. Now, a little bit about Angela. Dr. Angela Robbins is the founder and chief executive officer of eLearning Doc. Dr. Angela Robbins holds a PhD of instructional design for online learning, a master's in education and curriculum and instruction, and a master's of science in education and instructional design for online learning. Before founding eLearning Doc, Angela was the vice president of learning solutions at SilkWeb Consulting and Development, content development manager for Blackboard Global Client Success Group, head of training and development at Groups Recovered Together, director of the Center for Instructional Design and senior instructional designer for the online MBA and MS tax program at the University of Cincinnati, academic program director for the Colleges of Pharmacy and Medicine, director of field experience and professional portfolio for Missouri Baptist University, and an elementary educator for the Hazelwood School District in St. Louis, Missouri. Well, let's get started. Welcome, Angela. Thank you, Stacy. So let's take a step back. Um, when talking about higher education and med ed, um, tell me a little bit more about your experience there and how you engage with education. So about 10 to 15 years ago, I was actively engaged in a college of medicine where I worked. Um, and at the time, we had about 32 curriculum committees that was revising um, a curriculum that had not been revised in about 32 years. And the fact that our board scores were extremely good did not deter from the fact that we still felt like there were some improvements in the curriculum that Mm -hmm. needed to be made. For instance, just the fact that our learners weren't attending lectures was worrisome because we recorded each session. The learners uh, realized that they could stay home and listen to those on three, four times speed and still get the same experience than if they were attending courses. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of worrisome to us because we're like, well, they must know something we don't know if, you know, they can still get the same information, but they don't feel like they have to attend class. So we started to examine the curriculum as a whole and realized, you know, we need to do something to rethink how we're teaching um, and approaching this whole curriculum experience. And so one of the things we did is we also realized, you know, when you treat the human body, you treat it as an integrated system and not a silo-based experience. Mm -hmm. So we took the curriculum and we uh, created a more integrated approach. And so instead of doing a two plus two curriculum, we created a more integrated experience where um, we started to merge the systems. And we also got them into their practicums earlier. 
Over the years, I've stayed connected, working with different universities across the the U.S., helping them revise and um, really help fine-tune their curriculums and create a more interactive and engaging experience for the students. So helping them use some of the online tools and resources that are out there to help them, you know, better use their in-class time with their learners. So front-loading some of that curriculum, whether it be lecturettes or Hmm. readings or whatever the content may be that that learners can do prior to coming to their course. So that time on task or those contact hours that they're there with the instructor can be spent more interactive where they're using and applying that information, whether it be through case studies or standardized patients or just through explorations and demonstrations or whatever the case may be with the instructor, and that they're using that subject matter expert to learn from them and their experiences to make that learning come together for them. You know, you mentioned something in that that I want to explore a little bit more. You talked about in the situation that you were describing that the curriculum was at this point where learners were able to watch the lectures online at, you know, like you said, multiple speeds and not necessarily come to class and still perform as well as people who maybe did come to class. Absolutely. So I guess there's two questions uh, nested in here. And that's why can't we just keep doing the same old thing that works? What's the gap? Why does it matter? And then I guess, secondarily, what do you think, what role do lectures have? How do we work with it? If, if this isn't good enough, what do we do? Yeah, I agree. You know, and I, I think it's a question as educators, we have to ask ourselves, what is the value? Well, obviously there's an extreme value as subject matter experts. We know better than them why we have to teach what we teach and the way that we teach it. And commonly you see in medical schools where they have a hidden curriculum, where the students are creating their curriculum. Aside from the original curriculum of the medical school, you have the students that are there because their ultimate goal is to pass that board and become a doctor. Whereas the physicians realize that, yes, you do have to pass that board, but there's a rhyme and a reason to why you have to learn what you learn. Because once you become a doctor, you have to be able to apply those schools. And so how do we create that happy medium? And so I think if they take that approach where they don't feel like they need to come to class because they can learn it all quicker and faster through front-loading that curriculum and and listening to it on their MP3s, then how as educators do we challenge ourselves to make those one-on-one experience or those contact hours that we have with the students more practical and more useful when they are there so they see the value. And so I think that that's always the, the challenge we have as educators is to make every interaction and every contact hour mean something for the learners. So not only are they learning those essential skills, but they're actually applying them as well. So the students feel like they're getting their needs met, that they'll be able to pass those board scores. But then as educators, we feel confident that they'll be proficient and competent in those skills and have a long career as a successful physician. And, you know, and there's something to the hidden curriculum piece that you talked about where I wonder younger generations, current generations that are in the higher education area, their relationship to media and information and knowledge is maybe different than some people who are older and that younger feel that they have autonomy and ownership of media and information and the ability to remix it and sort of create in their own vision the way that that should be, which is really kind of what I think is behind the hidden curriculum is is exactly that, that drive to like make your own. And I, 
I, I wonder, you know, if that's something that some higher education courses might think of embracing and making part of the curriculum as opposed to having it be some kind of like underground hidden thing. Why not make the act of creating a guide or like teaching other people something, right? I've visited probably 20 to 30 medical schools all over the U.S. in my time. And I can't think of one that doesn't have some type of hidden curriculum that the students have created, whether it be this massive syllabi uh, that mm-hmm. they put together on their own that's handout after handout or outline or, you know, maybe they're MP3s that someone's created just of study material. But having some type of online content repository for the students to be able to access it, you know, of course, the risk you always run is whether or not that content is accurate. But in who's going to be the curator of that content, uh, that's always the, the fear that I foresee with that is, is it the best content? But again, you know, it's going to happen regardless if we're there to, to monitor it or curate that content. Um, but I think you're right. No matter if we host it or um, support it, it's going to happen regardless if we support it. So you, there is some value to, you know, supporting it. It can make jobs easier as educators as well. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, maybe this one wouldn't work, but I, I kind of think like, why not leverage the power of this and make it part of your assignment set that you're actually asking people to produce an asset, not do some Absolutely. large production in an area that it's not going to cause them a lot of delays because of technology. So maybe it is just notes they're writing up, like write up a note set I or, agree. or make a little flip grid video or something, right? Yes. And that could be an actual assignment. And so when you grade that or review it, or maybe you do period reviewing in that, that might be a way to select the ones that are the most useful and to sort of assess whether or not they're exactly like you're saying. I mean, I think that that there there could be a a lot to that and that's super learner centered, right? Like, I mean, if the learners are generating the content based off, you can still have some teaching at people, but then if they take that, remix it, and create yes. assets. I mean, why not ask them to write questions as an assignment, submit exactly. questions or just other things. That re- and also I think that engages their higher order thinking, right? Like we're absolutely really work on a higher um, cognitive plane. Yes. And, and that's why I, I love universities that value students' um, opinions, especially asking them to be a part of their curriculum committees, because I've seen some of the best results come from students that make decisions for universities. Mm -hmm. When I was going through a curriculum revision at the university I was at, our students were the biggest assets on our curriculum committee because they had such a strong voice um, and they were seeing what was going on in that hidden curriculum. And it added so much value to the future of our curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, anytime you can provide their input or see what they're suggesting, it adds so much value. Well, yeah. And I think even the act of analyzing the material, reflecting on how you and others might learn, reflecting on what you want to pull from the material, and then creating new things from it is going to lead to better learning outcomes, longer, deeper learning. Absolutely. And sort of foster that lifelong learner creator mindset, which will just then make you a better learner overall. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's what the gap is. Like, why does it matter? It matters Mm -hmm. because someone can watch a lecture, but they might not remember that next year. 
if they're watching a lecture, but then creating an asset and then looking at their cohorts assets and maybe contributing via, you know, maybe like voice thread or something, you know, I don't know. There's lots of different tools that people could use or leverage to do these things collectively in a controlled way. Yeah. I commonly see this even with my daughter who's in high school, her and her friends will study together and one will take a cahoots test and create one for the whole group each time it's time to study for a test. And so they'll make test questions about the different units and then they share each other's cahoots tests to help study for the test. You know, and it's amazing that network that they have and how they're so uh, willing to help each other out, but the value that they get and they bring away from that group is so much greater. And it's just, whenever you collaborate like that, the added value is just, is tremendous for the learning environment. Oh, the social learning aspect, the community that's in there. Absolutely. So valuable. I, I think it's, I don't know what you think, but I think it's really important to look at um, what people in K through 12 are doing to learn and what their school looks like and what their curriculums look like, because as they leave and they enter college or higher ed, that's, that's going to shift their expectation. Like for me, I'm a little older. So when I came out of that K through 12 system, my expectations were definitely not learner centered, right? Like exactly. So I, I was sitting in a desk while somebody had like a projector and was writing on plastic <laughs> in front of me for hours. Um, and I was definitely of the, of the mindset when I started out, I was an elementary teacher and it was also always focused on social, um, mm-hmm. cognitive learning, cooperative learning. So I, I think you're right. This new generation, you know, that's what they expect mm-hmm. because that's how they were taught when they get to higher ed and there's that discrepancy between the two learning styles, they have to then create that for themselves. And they're working twice as hard, which is really unfortunate for them. And so how do we meet that shift and and help them be successful without having to make such a huge lift for these these instructors at the Mm -hmm. secondary level or at the higher education level. Yeah. And Um, I think that I think doing the work they're doing probably helps them learn better, but maybe they don't have to do so much. So I think you're exactly like there's things that probably the the faculty and instructors can do to lessen that burden. But I think it's still good to ask people to because I think creating things is a part of culture now. It Um, is. So it's a good thing to have them keep doing that. You can have someone do a creation, even if it's like creating a, I'm going to be silly here, but like a haiku or something. Yeah. <laughs> learning value there. It, it may, it, you know, it activates different areas of your memory and brain and it really makes a difference. Exactly. I definitely um, learn better by doing. What could an instructor do? Of course, I'm of the mind that, that the hidden curriculum is actually adding value, the act of making it, but maybe it's too much. So what can a faculty member do that's not just lectures to help meet the new expectation, kind of new way of learning that, that people are coming out of K through 12? Absolutely. I think the first thing is to really understand your learner, you know, as they are entering this new atmosphere. So taking inventory of what their their learning preferences are. Of course, we can't always accommodate every single person, but it does help to understand what the majority uh, thinks and feels and, and how they respond. In some cases, people can read faster than they can listen to content, right? Mm -hmm. So I know when we've tracked content delivery before, we notice sometimes we'll have learners that prefer to download the transcripts rather than listen to the actual lecturer um, that's providing the content. So I think 
having content in a variety of ways is probably the better approach mm-hmm. to go. That way you can, you know, deliver content in a variety of learning preferences. Yeah. And this gets to the personalization, you know, with exactly, you know, learner centered and the learner autonomy to select their own materials in a way, you know, when they have choices and then that personalization of the experience. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, people like to download audio files because, you know, let's, let's face it today's society loves being fast paced. So whether mm-hmm. they're at the gym, you know, working on the treadmill, they can listen to an MP3 file or MP4 file, you know, they're always on the move. And so the faster they can access the content and material and make it work for their lifestyle is really the best way to go. And so the more we know about our learners, the more we can adjust. I would rather know what their preferences are Because if I am going to tailor the learning, I always challenge myself to find creative ways that will challenge or activate the learning process Mm -hmm. for my students. And so if I can find a way that is attractive or creates engagement for my learners, I would much rather know than not know. And I think delving into a little deeper too, would you rather work in groups or would you rather work alone? Those types of things can really be helpful. And understanding why that's just helpful surveying them, because then if I have certain questions I want to ask that can help me, or when I'm doing pairings, like if I do a lot of group projects, then that would help me understand who I'm going to pair with who. So those are more of the things that I look for when Mm -hmm. I'm doing these inventories, just so I know as much as I can about my learners. And that way I can hopefully better serve them down the road. Angela, I want to know what you think when it comes to what an educator could do today to help them be more in line with modern educational wants and needs and the shifting priorities of learners. Is there any one thing or a few things or tips that you might think that people can do today to improve those educational endeavors? Yeah, I think one thing that I'm learning throughout this experience is really to keep it simple. You know, learners want to be able to access what they need when they need it and how they want it. And the more difficult we make it, and in some cases, the more technology we add or, you know, the harder we make it to access the content, uh, the more difficult it is for the learners. Mm -hmm. And so I think keeping it simple and straightforward is the best approach. But sometimes it's just about getting your content out there. You know, don't be afraid. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be pristine or that perfect image of who you are as an educator. Really, it's about distributing that knowledge that's accurate and timely. And I think if I could share anything with you is don't be afraid to take that step towards e-learning or virtual instructor-led training, because the value add is so important in our changing times right now. And the more you delay, the more opportunities you miss to really touch a learner. Don't be afraid and just keep it simple. Well, thank you, Dr. Robbins, for this fantastic conversation, great tips, and for being a guest on Mayo Clinic's Educator Central podcast today. And listeners, if you want to be part of the conversation, have something to share or any ideas, feel free to email us at edufi at mayo.edu. And that's edufi at mayo.edu.
If you have any ideas for topics, would like to be a guest, or want to reach out to us, send us an email at edufi at mayo.edu.